And now from the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 14 this morning, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, as I mentioned a little earlier, we're starting a new series today that will carry us throughout this month of May. I'm calling the series, It Happened One Night. It Happened One Night. We have a section here in the Gospel of John that begins in chapter 13 and runs for several chapters where Jesus is in a conversation or a dialogue with his closest friends and disciples. It all happens in one setting or one scene. We'll be reading different sections of it as we move through this month of May, breaking down some of these more complicated concepts that Jesus begins to speak of to his disciples. It's amazing to me, but these few chapters make up largely the biblical foundation for the doctrine that makes Christians particularly unique among all world religions. We call it the doctrine of the Trinity or the triune God. We talk about three persons in one God. Now other monotheistic religions have a little trouble with that. They find that confusing. But in reality, so do many Christians. This three in one is a paradox of our faith. And it's difficult to grasp sometime exactly what Jesus is talking about. These next several weeks, we'll be looking at what he says to his disciples and how we might understand what he's saying and, and also how that applies to our own lives. Now, in lots of circles, there are debates about the Trinity and how we're to understand it and what different writers have met through the ages. There's scads of books written about this. I'm not really planning to lead us into those debates nor try to even convince you that you have to understand all the subtleties of all the theologians and pastors who have written about this over the ages. But I do want us to become more acquainted with this material out of John and how that might apply to our own lives. That will be my primary purpose. It will be to explore these passages as a way to help all of us develop a more personal, vital relationship with God. And of course, what the church has said through the ages, the way that we do that is through Christ, with the power or in the power or through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians have declared that this spiritual relationship makes all the difference in terms of how our lives unfold and the richness and abundance of our own experience on the physical plane, we say it's dependent on 
our understanding and relationship on the spiritual plane. So let's look at John. In this gospel, we could tell you that it's the most spiritual and symbolic of all the gospels, much more so than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In this particular section, as we come very close to the end of Jesus' life, Jesus has told those gathered that this is all about relationships of love. Just before where we began to read, Jesus has said to these disciples, I give you a new commandment. And the new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. In fact, Jesus says, this new commandment will be the defining mark. This will be the distinction of how people will know that you are my disciples, is if you have love for one another. This is the mark. This is the way that people are going to know this. And then right after he's told them that, he says to them, now I'm getting ready to go away. And Peter says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, you cannot come. And Peter protests and said, I think I can. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus says to him, no, in fact, before morning, you will deny me three times. It's a very somber moment, I think, in that room when Jesus says to his leading disciple, who's pledging his very life, that he can't go with him. I mean, if you think about it, Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is saying, follow me. And then right here, when Peter says, I'm ready, Jesus says, no, you cannot come. Imagine if you were in that room. You have probably given up everything in your life to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. Because you believe that he is about ready to change the world as you know it. You believe he is the one. You are ready to follow. And then he says, you cannot come. Now he says to Peter, you will come later. Read that as some foreshadowing about the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll read about that a little bit later in the month. But at this point, Jesus has said, you cannot follow me. I think it must have been frustrating and bewildering, troubling, if you will. And then right after that is where we began to read at the beginning of chapter 14. And Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus clearly says that he's going away, but he indicates that it's For their own good. It's on their behalf. He's going to prepare a place for them. 
And did you hear that in the very last part of verse 3? So that where I am, there you may be also. So that where I am, there you may be also. Even though Jesus says he's going away, this idea of staying connected with him, of all the Christian brothers and sisters in the band in that room tonight still being together, that's still being emphasized. That's still a theme that Jesus is talking about. But they have trouble understanding this when he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. He goes on to say, we know the way. And then they begin to protest, no, we don't. It's a lot like the story, if you might remember this one, about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Do you remember that story? John tells it back in chapter 3 of his gospel. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, wants to talk about spiritual life. Jesus begins to tell him how this works in the kingdom of God, that you have to be born again or born from above. Jesus is talking about spiritual things. But Nicodemus is listening on a physical level, and he says, how can, how can a person enter their mother's womb and be born again? He totally misses the spiritual significance because he's thinking about it as a physical rebirth rather than a spiritual rebirth. The disciples are having the same struggle when Jesus began to talk about a place where he's going and that they know the way. They're thinking about it in terms of a physical journey. But Jesus is talking about a spiritual journey. Can you see the difference there? So Jesus goes on in verse 4 and says, You know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is talking about life on a spiritual level, and his listeners are thinking on the physical level alone. Now, the church has declared throughout the ages that Jesus is a physical being, but not a physical being alone. We have also said that he is a spiritual being, or more precisely, a divine being. We've said that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. That idea was first articulated in a formal way all the way back in the year 325 of the Common Era. Leaders from across the Christian world were gathered together to try to put in a formal way what is it that we believe. Lots of different beliefs, lots of different people speculating about who they thought Jesus was or is and whether he was a human being or some kind of cross between human and divine or maybe a supernatural being that just looked like a physical being. And so these pastors and leaders come together and write a creed. We're going to use it later in the service. It's in the back of our hymnal, but it's printed in your bulletin this morning. The Nicene Creed. That's where they first said, this is how we understand what God has done in Christ. He has come as fully human, but he is also fully divine but these first disciples were struggling to understand how we can work on two levels at once 
And these early church fathers struggled with the same thing as they try to put into words something that's ineffable in a sense, that's beyond comprehension in some ways. We struggle to comprehend the paradox of what God is doing in the world, how a divine being is at work in our human circumstances. Jesus responds to the disciples in this setting here in John where they're struggling with that very thing and begins to talk about his relationship with God as Father. And he summarizes it in verse 7 when he says to them, If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, do you think he was saying that God looks like him physically? I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying that if you see the way I relate to you, if you see the way I interact with you as disciples, with others that we have encountered, if you understand the way that I approach other people, then you understand how God relates to you and how God thinks of you. It's a spiritual lesson that he's teaching here, even though it has implications in our everyday lives. And it's about how we relate to each other and the way that jesus has related to them all is out of love if you read through the whole gospel of john you see this emphasis continually happening happening jesus makes it really clear i think as john begins to tell the story of the last night when all of this happened he begins that in chapter 13 just listen to the first verse of how John sets this up. He says, Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That is a great summary of the gospel of John and the ministry of Christ as well, I think. That Jesus came to embody this love of God for each and every one of us. And then just to make sure that they understand what kind of love he's talking about, Jesus gets up from the table, John says, takes, out his, takes off his everyday clothes, lays them aside, grabs a towel and a basin, and begins to work his way around the table, washing the feet of the disciples. After he's washed everyone's feet in the room, he says to them, do you understand what I have done? I have set you an example that you should love one another as I have loved you. And of course, it's a very stark example where he's taken the role of a slave or as a servant. He's given up being the rabbi who's leading these folks and when he begins to talk about love, he humbles himself. He gives of himself the way a servant would be required to, but he chooses to do that. In the original text, the word for love is agape. I remind you that it means to do the good or will the good for another. Jesus embodies in this foot washing that John tells us about that kind of self-giving, sacrificial love 
for the good of another because you love one another so the disciples say now where is the place what is the way and jesus says i'm going to the place of love i'm going to the place of love and the way is the way of love it's the way of self-giving of self-sacrifice of humbling oneself on behalf of the good of another it's an understanding of life that understands that the spiritual permeates the physical and the spiritual is to guide and direct all of our decisions and all of our relationships national geographic told the story of a guy named steve fawcett back in 1997 he was an adventure he is an adventurer of sort and on this particular occasion the story they were telling was the idea that he had that he could circumnavigate the globe in a hot air balloon he was going to lift off from st louis missouri not far from here and so he did and he went up and the winds were very favorable and he began to go to the east he was up at 24,000, 25,000 feet flying out of the united states airspace in no time all the way across the atlantic ocean approaching the coast of africa in just the first three days he was making amazing time but he had one problem as he was approaching the coast of africa he had asked all the countries that he thought he would be flying over for permission to fly through their airspace one country had said no way it was libya and guess what country he was approaching at a very fast rate of speed he was headed right for libya if he flew into libya they would shoot him down most likely now his problem is he's in a hot air balloon and you have no directional controls you're flying with the wind so his only option is to let some of the helium out of the balloon so he changes altitude so he begins to vent some of the helium and sure enough the balloon begins to fall he lets it fall for 6,000 feet until finally he picks up a crosswind that helps him skirt around the country of libya and fly on to the east one of the commentators who was watching this adventure and writing and reporting about it said you know flying a hot air balloon you are victim to the winds, if you will. And he said that's not too different from life. That sometimes our life circumstances blow us in a certain direction and sometimes right toward danger. But he said there's a lesson here from the hot air balloonist. Just like them, sometimes you have to change altitude to change direction. Sometimes you have to go down further to get to where you want to be jesus demonstrates that to move into the spiritual arena it is necessary to kneel down in the physical arena the paradox is to move up first you have to move down it's a paradox that we see in the gospel and surely it's a paradox that's related to Jesus being fully human and 
and fully divine. Amen. And thanks be to God.